Good evening. It's good to be here tonight. Glad for each one that's here. And as we closed out a study of a book this last week, sometimes in this position, not knowing where we're going to go uh, in our uh, studies of the books of the Bible, I feel that just uh, a good time to stop and and uh, go over some of those glorious truths that we hold so dear, those things most surely believed among us, those things that have been taught since the time of Abel and his sacrifice, Abraham, Noah, Moses, John the Baptist, Paul, our Lord and Savior taught so clearly through the scriptures. And so tonight we'd like to start with the first one in that acronym, and that is totally total depravity. And we look into the scriptures and we really see that this is God's description of the problem. If you'll turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 7 and read verse uh, 7 and 8, and then we're going to move down to verses 15, 16, and 17. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now if you'll drop down to verse 15 of that chapter, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying of the Every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then, would you travel with me just a little further here in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and we want to look at a few verses here in Genesis chapter 3, and I'd like to begin reading with verse 6. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Genesis 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, with me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguile me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. 
for upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust shalt thou return. And he And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And then in verse 24, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Adam's sin touched every aspect of his life. He died that very day spiritually, and he demonstrated the future path of all his descendants he hid from God, and all of his descendants by nature would too. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, had this to say about that incident. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And Adam was not deceived. Adam never was deceived at all. He knew what he did. He ate the fruit not on order or under deception or vain imagination. He sinned willfully and against light and knowledge. Without any deception, hereby death came in and passed on all who ever find him as their father. Adam's sin was a great crime against God, and that willfully he knew this sin would cause his death as well as all his descendants. He essentially said, I will not have God rule over me. Now the impact of the fall can be summed up under three headings. Subjection to spiritual death, a later physical death, bondage to sin, and blindness of the heart. Now when we talk about total depravity, we will never say that man sins as much as they possibly can. But we do say, when we use that term, that every aspect of man has been touched by the fall. The fall of Adam affected every atom of the earth, every atom of man, animal, mineral, plant. Everything dies. Now the enormity of the problem must be stressed when we talk about this subject of total depravity. God's description of the problem. When we look at the enormity of the problem, we find out 
that there was no one. Adam could not fix the problem. We, in fact, have him say nothing uh, to uh, that he even thought that there could be a repair. He couldn't. We know that. But we move through the channels of men, and, and Abraham could not fix it. Though he, it is said of him that he had faith. And by Moses, the law could not fix the problem. Moses brought the law off Mount Sinai, those tables of stone, and read them to Israel, and there was no repair of the problem in that. It was only an identification issue that once you have that as the standard, there is no way that we can come out and say, well, we're doing pretty good. Isaiah couldn't fix the problem, though he was a great prophet. John the Baptist couldn't fix the problem. Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul, could not fix the problem. As great a preachers as they were, there was only one preacher, one man, that has ever walked the face of this earth that could deal with the issue, and that is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Excuse me, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace, from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us. Now here it talks about the enormity of the problem because this, the greatness of the, of the um, mending of the problem, the, how, what was required to fix the problem, what was required to put us in good standing with God Almighty again after it was lost in our father Adam. The scriptures tell us here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now the enormity of the problem is demonstrated here in this passage of scripture because the only way that sin could be taken care of is not by man, and not by the law, and not by self-righteousness. The only way that that could be mended, taken care of, and there could be a reconciliation to be reconciled to God, is that Jesus Christ must shed his own blood. That's how great a problem it is. One from heaven, the Son of God, God the Son, had to come and take care of the issue. So with that kind of problem, we should know by nature that we can't take care of it, but we can only see that as God saves us by his grace, gives us the new birth, and we're able to see the, the enormity of the problem and the price that was paid. It was his own blood. 
the description of the problem is paramount throughout the scriptures. Over and over and over we find ways that the uh, uh, God of heaven uh, used his prophets and his preachers of old to share with us the problem. So if you would turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 13. In Jeremiah chapter 13, we have this wonderful passage of scripture that shares with us and there isn't a, a, a person that has ever been saved by the grace of God that would deny this. <clears throat> Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. The problem is so enormous. It is serious. And as much as someone may try these things, and a leopard's not going to even try that. It's out of his realm. So may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. We read there this passage of scripture that gives us some insight into the seriousness of this problem of total depravity, complete and total ruin by the fall. There wasn't just a little wreck. It was a serious issue. Death came when Adam sinned, and it passed upon all men. We don't have to commit one sin to have the promise of death hanging over us. The soul that sinneth it shall die, but we're going to die whether we were committed one sin. That's just the justice that God has decreed. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That word desperately could be translated incurably wicked. There's no way that we have the cure for it. Only God has that cure. And that's why we need the Savior, the Lord Jesus. In Psalm 10, Psalm 10, as we look at a few verses that share with us the great problem of the fall and how it affected every human being. John, uh, Psalm 10, and there in verse 4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The true God is never in the thoughts of natural man. We had a God. We had a God by nature, and it's not the God. It's not the God of heaven. We might even have had a Jesus. But it's such a different Jesus than is declared in the scriptures. This Jesus is a Savior that can and actually save his people from their sins. It's a serious problem. We need a serious remedy, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Psalms again, Psalm 14, in Psalm 14, we have these words left for us that we might meditate upon them and we just look at them and we find out there's a problem. And person that knows the gospel, that knows Christ, knows these great truths, has been revealed. Christ by the Holy Spirit has been born again. When they hear these words, they know exactly it's the truth. They don't argue with it. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men, Psalm 14, verse 2, upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. Now, this is not man's commentary on the problem. This is God's commentary on the problem. 
He's the one that looked down. That word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the translators left us that uh, configuration of the word Lord for us to understand that this is Jehovah. This is Jehovah God. And he looked down and he says, as he looked down and looked at all men, they're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And this is brought up in the book of Romans as the Apostle Paul was used to synthesize so much under this heading of total depravity found there in the book of Romans. This verse is also found there. The fall of Adam affected every atom. Nothing was left undone. Nothing was left untainted. It was all covered. The very earth groans as a result of this. So sin had its great effect. The description from various points of view, the scriptures give us a number of points of view about the fall and about the condition that man's in. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at the condition that a farmer notices uh, when he's out in the ground and he's planting. And uh, the scriptures share with us the, the problem, not only with the ground, but with the seed and the Harvest is nearly zero. So in the book of Isaiah chapter 5, we have a passage of scripture that deals with this, a farmer's view of the fall. Isaiah Isaiah, uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Excuse me, verses 4 and 10. I'm sorry, verses 4 and 10. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought forth wild grapes. And down there in verse 10. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. Ten acres is going to yield a very small amount, a gallon of wine. You could say it's 10 gallons of wine, but if one, if 10 acres yielded 10 gallons of wine, we have wasted our time. There is nothing there that is productive. We've lost a great deal. So a farmer in describing this is we get wild grapes and then the 10 acres of a vineyard shall yield just such an insignificant amount of wine, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. There, it, didn't get, it didn't get a hundredth of your seed back. That's a terrible crop. We had famine, we had blight, we had insects, we have all the things that prohibit this uh, grain from growing, and it's evidenced by the natural man's fall, the fall of Man, the fall of Adam was so serious. Now, if you're a doctor, or you know a doctor, or you ever wanted to be a doctor, we find that in the book of Isaiah, again, Isaiah chapter 1, the scriptures share with us here a view of a doctor as he examines the patient that came in. And this is a natural man that comes in. He is examined. Uh, you know, he's done the best he can. He's He's got... Uh, a, a little bit of clothing on or whatever. He's come in for an exam for the doctor and here's what the doctor says. 
from the sole of the foot even unto the head. There is no soundness in, in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. From the sole of the foot unto the head, there is no soundness. Wounds. What would you think if you went to the doctor and they came back with this report after a, a CAT scan or a C, uh, C, whatever that is, where you get into that hollow tube? They came back and said, you don't have one sound organ in your body. We'd know he's really sick. Well, God says that through his prophet that spiritually speaking, from the sole of the foot to the head, there is nothing. The walk is crooked. The works are crooked. The mind is crooked. The eyes are dead and blind. The ears can't hear. The mouth can't speak. It is such a serious problem. And there is only one way to cure this problem, and that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. During uh, the study of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 14, would you turn back with me there for just a moment Leviticus chapter 14 and here if you've ever had the desire to be a, a builder you want to be a builder all right we have here in Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 44 Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 44 the Moses, as he wrote the book of Leviticus by inspiration of God, as he was the secretary, it says, Then the priest shall come and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house. It is unclean, and he shall break down the house, the stones of it, and the timber thereof, and all the mortar of the house, and shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place." Can you imagine what you would feel like if you just built a house and the inspector come and said, this thing is going to be dismantled and hauled off because it is in such terrible condition. You've got leprosy in the house. My goodness. Break down the house. Destroy the house. Get rid of the house. It is in such sad shape. And that's the builder's view of natural man as it's described in the scriptures when leprosy takes over, when leprosy, the sin of leprosy, or leprosy, a type of sin, takes over us, our bodies, our minds, our souls in the fall, we have no alternative but to be taken down, dismantled, and hauled off to a place that is unclean. Except for the grace of God, we would be dismantled, hauled off, spiritually speaking, and left. If God should count iniquity, who shall stand? So we are in desperate need of those desperate measures, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thought that I wanted to bring in with regard to the doctor, there is only one place that this discussion will ever happen, and that is the word death. You may have heard me say this in the past, but it just keeps coming up. Religion does not believe that man is totally dead, totally depraved. There's some quality in him that can be worked up. And if we could just get that person 
to answer the call of just as I am, if we could just get that person to sign a card, if we can just get that person to make a decision for Jesus. A friend of mine told me about reading a book recently, and in there it said that uh, our compass is 180 degrees out from God, and he is not going to turn it around. It's up to us. Well, my goodness, we're lost then. There's nothing in us to turn it around. We're thankful that God turns the needle around and attracts us to him. But the book of Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Who were dead in trespasses and sin. We have a problem, folks. The farmer says we have a problem. The doctor says we have a problem. The builder says we have a problem. The shepherd says we have a problem. He has a whole flock. There are sheep that are going astray. They will not follow their shepherd. This is, this is so serious. Their lives depend upon them following the shepherd, and yet they will not follow the shepherd. My people hath been lost sheep, is what we read in the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, would you turn there with me? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6. As the Lord Jesus says a few things about this great problem in the book of Matthew chapter 10. And there in verse 6, he's telling his disciples, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's a serious problem. They don't have a shepherd. They're lost. They're blind. They're, uh, they're dead. Uh, they're ring-straked and speckled. They have no hope in themselves. And the lost sheep, the scriptures talk about a fruit grower in the Bible, and fruit will not endure. It, you pick an apple, and you just leave it for a short time, and it's got a rotten spot on it. Now, they've got many ways. Right here in the Dallas, we have uh, some of those uh, orchardists have developed a way of keeping fruit fresh enough to ship to Japan, and it's fresh for two weeks. Yet, it's going to show that it is in the stages of death. It will rot eventually. Figs, very evil, cannot be eaten. My, my. It goes on and on and on. So our real problem is depravity, total depravity. There's not a bone in us that is healthy. And we are in so desperate need of that solution that was laid out in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and there with regard, in verse 5, with regard, he has cleansed us from all our sin by his own blood. That's our only hope, is that he would take care of the issue, and he did that very thing for all his elect. He shed his own blood for his sheep. He knew exactly who he was dying for on the cross. As he represented his family, Adam represented his. Adam knew exactly who was going to die in this fall. That was everyone ever born would fall. And the Lord Jesus, as the second Adam, he has knowledge of, in fact, before the foundation of the world, he had their names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were graven on the palms of his hand. He has them as pictured by the high priest with those stones with the 12 tribes of Israel graven on them. There was not one stone for the Philistines. There was not one stone for the Hittites or the Hivites. There was only stones for the 12 tribes of Israel 
That's who the high priest was representing. And we find the Lord Jesus Christ being a great high priest. This one, he knew exactly who he was representing. He was not caught off short. He was not laying down his life a ransom for all. And then hopefully some would come to him. But he laid down his life a ransom for many. He paid the price of many, a number that no man can number. And those that are sinners by nature and practice and choice... He comes and gloriously saves by his grace through the preaching of the gospel. And we're willing to make those sacrifices as that sinner woman did to wipe his feet with our tears and to, uh, to wash his feet with our tears and to wipe them with our hair and to pour that great precious ointment on his brow and upon his feet. Those wonderful examples of the sacrifices that God's people will make and expect nothing in return, not for a position, not for a reward, but because we just love the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam was not deceived. She, Eve was. The interesting thing about this too, that when Eve ate that fruit, nothing happened because Adam was the responsible party. Now, when he sinned, things really went down quickly. So the Great thoughts that have been brought out from the scriptures over and over, time and time again. This is really a dividing line. Total depravity or partial depravity. Total death or partial death. And there have been those that have fought for partial death throughout the centuries and have burned alive. They have drowned. They have killed. They have thrown over, they've thrown asunder, they've cut asunder. People who say, no, Jesus Christ died for a specific group of people, and they cannot choose God, but he has chosen them. So total depravity, T is for total depravity. Thank you, and Lord willing, we'll meet again, and we'll go over number two.